against the First Amendment. <laughs> that actually happened. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into that for you. I'm going to lead with that story because I think it's that important. We also have uh, Dave Chappelle is in today's show. He endorsed Andrew Yang, and uh, he spoke about why, indeed, he did that. Um, we also have Joe Biden has a problem. He cannot stop telling voters to vote for somebody else. <laughs> oh, man. It's kind of funny. I don't know how to feel about this particular uh, scandal because I enjoy it. Like, it's funny to hear Biden tell people, like, oh, you should go vote for Trump, or you should go vote for Bernie, or you should go vote for whoever else. Anybody but me. Um, I also have a great clip that shows it refreshes everybody's memory, and you know most of us weren't even alive at the time, but how and why Joe Biden lost when he ran for president in uh, 1988, started running in 87. The election was in uh, 88, but yeah, I, I, I'll show you. A lot of people don't know this history. A lot of people do not know this history, but you're going to learn. So uh, that's fascinating. We'll get to that probably in the middle of today's show. Then... Um, I have more stuff on Kobe Bryant. I do have plenty of Bernie Sanders stuff. Um, a new record has been set in one of our forever wars. We'll talk about that. Um, and uh, parody accounts, lefty parody accounts, are now being suspended by Twitter, willy-nilly, for no reason. We have a parody of MSNBC and a parody of CNN on the same day, Gonski's. One, two, three, blink of an eye, gone, no reason for it. 
So there's a lot to talk about. Sit back, relax, take it easy, and uh, let me pour some knowledge right up in your cranium, bitch. Elizabeth Warren released a curious new plan yesterday. Um, let me share that with you. This is her Twitter thread on it. She says the following. Disinformation and online foreign interference erode our democracy, and Donald Trump has invited both. Anyone who seeks to challenge and defeat Donald Trump in the 2020 election must be fully prepared to take this on, and I've got a plan to do it. In the 2016 election, we saw how digital disinformation was used to influence and suppress voters. But four years later, we're hardly better prepared for it. Donald Trump has welcomed foreign interference in our elections, and if he isn't removed from office, he'll continue to do so. Anyone who seeks to challenge and defeat Donald Trump must be prepared to take on the full array of disinformation that foreign actors and people in and around his campaign will use to divide Democrats, suppress Democratic votes, and erode the standing of the Democratic nominee. So today, I'm making a pledge. I will not knowingly use or spread disinformation to benefit my own candidacy and or damage others, and I will fight disinformation aimed at my campaign, my opponents, and voters. By the way, says she's fighting disinformation. Remember when, like, three and a half minutes ago, she accused Bernie Sanders of being a secret sexist? Pretty sure that's disinformation. I'm sending a clear message to anyone associated with the Warren campaign. I will not tolerate the use of false information or false accounts to attack my opponents, promote my campaign, or undermine our elections, and I urge my fellow candidates to do the same. I'm also calling on tech companies like Facebook, Twitter, and Google to take real steps right now to fight disinformation spread on their platforms. The safety of our democracy is more important than shareholder dividends or CEO salaries and CEO salaries. Campaigns and tech companies can take a number of steps to slow the spread of misinformation right now. And as president, I'll take a series of actions to further address the spread of disinformation. The stakes of this election are too high. We need to fight the spread of false information that disempowers voters and undermines democracy. I'll do my part, and I'm calling on my fellow candidates and big tech companies to do their part, too. Okay, I, I really hope that without me even saying anything, you know the problem with this. I really hope that I don't have to spell it out for you clearly for you to just innately get exactly what the issue is here. Because the bottom line is, guys, this is deeply, deeply unconstitutional and un-American. Because what she's talking about is having the government get involved and try to fight disinformation. Yeah, great idea, Liz. Maybe we can call this new agency the Ministry of Truth or something to that effect. This is not, the government is not in the business of determining what's acceptable and not acceptable discourse. That would be an obvious violation of the First Amendment and free speech and freedom of the press. Now, you don't have to like everything that's out there floating around in the ether, but you have to allow it to float around in the ether. You can fight back with your own words and your own arguments and say, hey, I don't think that's true. But to talk about the government getting involved to stop the spread of disinformation, Elizabeth Warren, I got news for you. Oftentimes, the government is the source of disinformation. Are you kidding me? We're going to trust the government? I don't, care. I don't care what your ideology is. If you're a Republican, 
Are you going to are you going to trust the Democratic administration to tell you what's true and not? If you're a Democrat, are you going to trust a Republican administration to tell you what's true or not? Even if you say, okay, take partisanship out of it and the parties will have nothing to do with it. Okay, are you going to trust the FBI, the CIA, the freaking DMV? Like, what are we talking about here? Higher career bureaucrats who are just somehow perfectly objective philosopher kings who can determine what's true and what's not, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable? Like, what are you talking about, man? The main point is, who watches the Watchmen? It's the age-old question. Who watches the Watchmen? Oh, you got these people who are, you know, the arbiters of that which is true, and then what? They don't have their own biases and their own opinions and their own beliefs. There's no such thing as perfect objectivity. You know, and even people who maybe watch this show and really like this show, I would tell you guys, I struggle to be as, I try my best to be as objective as possible, but I'm sure I don't get there. And, uh, but the difference is I actually explain my biases up front. I tell you guys what my beliefs are up front, which is the kind of honesty that allows you to tap into my mindset and see the prism through which I'm viewing the world. I try to give the facts and be as objective as possible, but I'm only human. And so I tell you my biases up front. On what planet does Elizabeth Warren think that it makes sense? to talk about fighting the spread of misinformation or disinformation from within the government. You claim to be a Native American your entire career. What about the, the spread of that disinformation or misinformation? You just accused Bernie Sanders of being secret sexist, uh, a secret sexist. What about that disinformation or misinformation? You know, there was a scandal recently where she said her, you know, her dad is a janitor, and her brother had to come out and be like, he's not a janitor. He was never a janitor. What about that? What about, uh, you know, the lie she told about uh, uh, her pregnancy and a teaching job? She told a lie about that as well. She's had very clear issues with the truth. And she's going to step forward and say, oh, well, we need to, you know, the government needs to get involved to fight disinformation. And Facebook needs to step up to fight disinformation. Guys, the whole original point of social media was it's a bathroom wall. Hey, we're not the filter. We don't curate. We don't tell you. Like, you know, what's okay and what's not okay? We're just the medium. So some, some crazy people are going to put some crazy stuff. True. But also there's going to be non-crazy people who put non-crazy stuff, and it's a way to connect the world. That was the old idea. Now people like Elizabeth Warren are begging Silicon Valley oligarch billionaires to determine what's acceptable and what's not acceptable to say in a public forum. This is so deeply against the First Amendment and free speech and freedom of the press. I mean, that's so obvious. That's clearly what this is. I mean, and also, let, let's be serious. There is such a thing as, okay, certain things are truth, certain things are false. True, of course, that's a given. But to a Ted Cruz fan, I'm the source of all, you know, misinformation in the world. Now, I say, of course, I'm not, but to them, they say I am, and vice versa. You know, uh, to a Bernie Sanders person, Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and Mayor Pete have been spreading disinformation and misinformation. Uh, to a Joe Biden person or an Elizabeth Warren person or a Mayor Pete person, Bernie Sanders people have been spreading this disinformation and misinformation. Now, again, I know that there is, you know, a, a real world exists, and indeed there are things that are true and false, but everybody's perception and mindset and their own stream of consciousness is going to get in the way, and that's what I mean. There's no way to, like, perfectly get to the truth. Remember when Facebook said, oh, we're going to do fact-checking? One of the uh, outlets that they used for fact-checking was like a hack right-wing outlet. I don't remember which it was. I think it may have been Daily Caller or National Review or something. But, like, 
an outlet that has been consistently wrong about so many things. They're like, well, listen, we got to be balanced. What do you want me to do? You want to fact check and only pick, you know, like left-wing outlets? We, that's, we can't do that. So this is not – like the whole conversation is nonsense. To even open this door and start walking down this path is stupid. Like you have to understand that the options are either censorship or not censorship. Those are the only two things on the menu. <laughs> either you start censoring and deplatforming and taking stuff down or you don't. Now, sure, you could say there's upsides and downsides to both, but I would definitely argue the bigger downsides are with censorship and deplatforming and having a government agency determine what's true and what's not and, and what's allowed and what's not allowed. And by the way, did you notice in there? What did she say? She said, oh, foreign misinformation, and we need to make sure that, you know, this doesn't – I'm not. we don't use bad information to go after Democratic rivals. You know what she's alluding to, right? She's alluding to Julian Assange, WikiLeaks, the 2016 election, and uh, the facts about the DNC rigging the primary. It says so much about Elizabeth Warren and her campaign and who's running her campaign these days. That she used to say when she was asked in a, an interview on mainstream media, hey, was the primary rigged against Bernie Sanders? And she was like, yes. Then a week later, she came out and said, mm, that's not the right word. Did I say that? See, what happened was that someone's in my eyes, and I'm not sure if I, maybe I was using too strong language. She went from talking about how the primary is rigged to now concern trolling about how we got the information that indeed proved the primary was rigged. She's saying, like, hey, do not allow the spread of information that, you know, talks bad about our fellow Democrats in the lead-up to the election, because maybe Russia was or wasn't behind the leaks. That's what she's saying. So, in other words, all that information that we learned about Hillary Clinton and how they were rigging the election, how we learned that Hillary Clinton said, I have public and private positions, and they're not the same. Remember when we learned about that? Remember when she said, I want totally free and open trade borders, which is like NAFTA and, and TPP and PNTR on steroids. We learned that she said all of these things. And then the fact that that was reported on, Elizabeth Warren was like, hey, 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 that's a Russian, uh, that's a Russian psyop or something. So don't report the truth because the truth might hurt my team. What kind of hacky... That's so hacky. And we all know damn well if there were, you know, a WikiLeaks dump on the RNC and Julian Assange exposed the corruption within the RNC, would Elizabeth Warren say, hey, now, don't talk about the substance of those leaks because it might maybe came from Russia or something. She would never say that. She would immediately start talking about the substance of those leaks, obviously. But when it's on the Democratic side, hey, 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 what are you doing? You better take that true information and hide it. See, this is what I mean. You can't... Guys, think about this. If we had a ministry of truth or uh, Facebook acting as the arbiters of truth during the lead-up to the Iraq war, what would have happened? What would have happened? They would have actively suppressed and censored every single person who was saying, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I think that Saddam Hussein did not work with Osama bin Laden, and I don't think he has weapons of mass destruction. They would have called those people the conspiracy theorists, and the conspiracy theorists would have been right. So now, don't get me wrong. 
you know, there's also the downside of Alex Jones going to go out there and, and pretend like um, Sandy Hook is a hoax. He gets to go out there and say terrible things that have negative consequences. That's the price of freedom. But again, the downsides of censorship are way worse than the downsides of freedom, for sure. Because if you start censoring all the stuff that's not convenient, well, then they're, they're, we don't live in a free and open society. We live in an authoritarian state. So I, this is a terrible idea. I don't know if I could sufficiently explain just how bad this idea is. But it's deeply unconstitutional, deeply un-American, and honestly childish and silly and naive, too. Like, seriously, that's, you think that, uh, you know, all we need to do, we need, we need to actively fight the spread of misinformation, and the government should get involved. Do you have any idea how quickly this would get slapped down in court? It would be comical. It'd be comical. Any judge takes one look at it, it's like, well, that's clearly unconstitutional, which is good. <laughs> Thank God we have, you know, in this case, we have judicial review in a hypothetical Warren administration where she tries to crack down on free speech. But man, that really does say something. And, and the timing of this, too, is very bizarre. Very bizarre. Right after she shoots her own campaign in the foot uh, by accusing somebody who's supposed to be her close ally of secret sexism, and she's flailing and falling all over the place, and people on social media are really pissed at her. That's why there were a barrage of snake emojis went her way. Why? Because she accused her longtime friend and ally, supposedly, of sexism, secret sexism. When there's videos of him going back to 1987 saying, well, a woman uh, should get elected and things are changing, but not fast enough. He's a, a secret sexist. He's a secret sexist. So people were like, wow, you're a snake. And they started tweeting snake emojis at her immediately after that. I, I pledge to fight the spread of uh, disinformation and misinformation and, and uh, about our democratic rivals and to not go after them. Isn't that, isn't that good? Let's not fight each other because you guys really don't like me right now, so please get off my ass. Oh, it's so sad. It really is. What happened to you, Elizabeth Warren? I'm not in the camp of people who said all along, like, no, she's, just, she's the worst, and they believe that all along. No, uh, on, the contra on the contrary, her record, she did force Obama to do the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. She did. And that is wildly successful. $12 billion returned to defrauded Americans, actually standing up to Wall Street and big financial institutions. Can't take that away from her. But what on earth has happened to you since then? You've been in Washington a little too long. And man, you're supposed to go there to change Washington, but they changed you. And this is another clear example of that. How you don't realize immediately that this is unconstitutional and ridiculous is beyond me. But indeed, it is unconstitutional and ridiculous. That's clear. Okay, next. Dave Chappelle, David Chappelle, Dave Chappelle. I got a video for this. So Dave Chappelle recently endorsed Andrew Yang, and um, he's with him in Iowa. And he talks about why he did it here to an independent media outlet called Iowa Starting Line. So thanks to them um, for this video. Let's see what he had to say. Sorry, what's happening in Dayton, Ohio? Dayton, Ohio is like a third of the 
would say to Portland State and say, what would you rather have, $12,000 a year or health insurance? Everyone's taking the money. But, like, health insurance is great, but, but groceries are necessary, too. And people are having a hard time getting the things they need. I started to imagine what a universal basic income would do for my community, and it would save it almost instantly. You know, we recently suffered, you know, mass shootings and all kinds of everything that happens in the news happens in our backyard today, you know, opioid epidemic, all of these things. And uh, I like the idea of giving people choice, putting the money in their hands and giving them the choice. They would consider things that they that aren't even an option to consider that. And they can do things that aren't an option to do. And that part of this platform I found incredibly exciting. More importantly, you know, you'll hear people say stuff like make America great came up. Come on, make America feel better again. And I think this platform uh, handles a lot of the emotional content of what being an American is like. Being a homemaker, not being under-recognized, or worker, being under-recognized. The fear of not being able to pay your bills, this would alleviate a lot of the, the bad feelings in the country almost immediately. That's something that I think anyone can get behind. It's an important idea, and for some reason I feel like uh, it didn't get the appropriate media coverage. You know, there's, there's a lot of controversies going on around this particular election cycle. And, and, and I also like the Andrew's pragmatism. You know, I don't look at the Trump supporters as my enemy at all. I understand why people vote for Trump. I understand people are desperate. And I think that Andrew's right. He went against the reasons that Trump got elected. So I'm a big uh, Dave Chappelle fan, of course. Chappelle Show was on the air when I was in college, and uh, I remember we all lost our minds at how funny it was. You couldn't walk down the high school, the hallway at my high school, without hearing, I'm Rick James, bitch! (laughs) And I just think he's a brilliant dude. Um, But, yeah, there's some stuff he said there that I agree with and other parts I really disagree with. First, let's start with the agreement to the last part where he says, Man, listen, Trump supporters are not my enemy. I can understand why some people voted for Trump. I largely agree with that. I will add the caveat that um, there is a contingent of TFGs, too far gone. And, uh, you know, those are the people like David Duke and Richard Spencer who voted for Trump because he's a bigot. <laughs> like those people, yeah, I don't sympathize with them. But I do sympathize with the two times Obama voters who then flipped to Trump because Trump said, I'm going to keep your jobs here in the Rust Belt sympathize with those people. Uh, And if you don't, I think something's wrong with you. And I kind of think that's what Dave is alluding to. Dave is alluding to people did feel desperate. And so they rolled the dice on a game show host and he has sympathy for those people. And so does Andrew Yang. Um, I would argue so does Tulsi Gabbard and so does Bernie Sanders, which is why those are the top three who chip away and get former Trump supporters. And now it's hilarious that the media tries to use that against them. They must be doing something wrong by trying to win an election and actively chipping away at their opponent's support. Like, actually, that would be the opposite of doing something wrong. That would mean you're doing something very, very right. <laughs> that was just so stupid. But anyway, um, he said at the beginning there that if you talk to people in Dayton, uh, Ohio, and he's from, like, rural Ohio, he lives there now, um, they'd all take $12,000 a year over health insurance. And uh, my response to that is the 500,000 people who go bankrupt every year from medical bills, pretty sure they'd take the health insurance. The 32,000 to 45,000 people who die every year because they don't have access to basic health care, 
pretty sure they would take the health insurance. I would make my dad take the health insurance because if he had the health insurance, he'd probably be alive today because he's part of that statistic, 32,000 to 45,000 deaths every year from lack of health insurance. So um, my message to Dave Chappelle on this particular issue is very simple. You don't need to pit those issues against each other. You don't need to say, like, hey, it's this or this. Like, what's that movie with the weird mask and it's the horror movie? It's like, you want to play a game? <laughs> like, what do you want? You want? Do you want the health insurance or do you want the $12,000 a year? What I would argue is we should do both. Now, uh, this is why I think Andrew Yang, and, and we'll get to the story in a second, but he signified that, hey, to all my supporters in the caucus, in the Iowa caucus, maybe they'll go to Bernie Sanders. That's what he said. And that's a wink and a nod. That's like, a, hey, all my supporters, go to Bernie Sanders. Because the way a caucus works, you're, you, know, you, you need the alliances, and it, I think Andrew Yang realizes where he's at in the polling position. So that's like a wink and a nod type thing. What I'm doing right now is I'm calling on the Bernie Sanders campaign. Sit down with Andrew Yang. Talk to him about UBI. If Bernie Sanders agrees to support universal basic income and fight for universal basic income, I, I think there's a decent chance that Andrew Yang goes, I'm bowing out of this race and endorsing Bernie Sanders. Now, guys, I get it. There's a lot of Yang supporters out there who don't want that. Hey, man, I hear you. That's your candidate, and you're going to ride or die with your candidate, and you know you might not even be happy about this you know, potential thing that I'm, I'm laying out here. However, I will say, as of right now, as of today, it's just a fact of reality that the race is down to Biden and Bernie. It would be not just a minor miracle, a major miracle, if anybody else got even remotely close to those two. So given that it is really a race between Biden and Bernie, and I think Andrew Yang recognizes this, Tulsi Gabbard recognizes this, they all recognize this now. Now I think they are going to begin to start thinking big picture. And I'm not, again, I'm not blaming the voters who are Andrew Yang supporters who are like, hey, man, that's my candidate. I don't want to hear any talk about this nonsense. Okay, fair enough. Then turn the video off. What do you want me to tell you? But I think what he realizes and what Tulsi, Tulsi realizes and what many of the other candidates realize is, all right, now I might have to start thinking in a new kind of way. Namely, you know, you might start seeing meetings behind the scenes with uh, Joe Biden and Amy Klobuchar. There was some reporting that Biden was trying to create a back channel to Klobuchar, or Joe Biden and Mayor Pete. Because, listen, if, if they decided, here's the sad truth, man. If Mayor Pete decided tomorrow, I'm going to drop out and endorse Joe Biden, that would really hurt Bernie. Because Bernie's got to win, in my opinion, at least three of the first four states to be in a good position. And if Mayor Pete drops out and endorses Biden, that could turn Iowa over to Biden and the whole race changes and it swings massively in favor of Joe Biden from there on. So my point is, um, I think that Andrew Yang is ideological, to his credit. I think a lot of the other candidates in the race are, are careerists. And they don't, they don't care about the ideology, they care about their careers. Given that I think Yang is ideological, and he does care massively about this issue, the issue of universal basic income, Bernie Sanders should sit down and talk to him and have Andrew Yang make his case for universal basic income. And I think there's a decent chance that if 
Bernie Sanders endorses universal basic income and, and uh, fights for it, that Andrew Yang will drop out and endorse Bernie Sanders. And then you want to talk about the race swinging in a positive direction, then good luck, Biden. Because if Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar don't drop out and endorse Biden, but Andrew Yang does drop out and endorse Bernie, that's, that's Bernie all day long. That's, now it's a giant, giant, giant um, advantage for Bernie moving forward. So um, that's my message. Because I, when I say, hey, man, hey, Dave Chappelle, you don't have to pit those two issues against each other. I can see that many Yang supporters are going to go, but hold on. Bernie supports Medicare for all. Andrew Yang supports universal basic income. Nobody supports both universal basic income and Medicare for all. So those ideas are pitted against each other, and you have to choose between those two things. So you have to pick between those two candidates, Bernie or Andrew Yang. And that's why I'm saying, what if you didn't have to do that? What if Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders sat down and Bernie endorsed universal basic income, and then Andrew dropped out and endorsed Bernie Sanders? What about that? Then we get the best of both worlds, honestly. We do. Um, so... That's, that's my message to Dave Chappelle. I like Dave Chappelle. He's a really smart dude. Um, I think he does know people who would take the $12,000 over the health insurance. But my message to him is you don't have to pit those two things against each other. And also, never let anybody convince you that universal health care is negotiable. That's a total non-negotiable. When every other developed country has it and we don't, and some people are like, what are you going to do? You want this or that? No, no, no. Not this or that. That's one that we're taking off the table and keeping it there permanently. So that's not open for debate. That's not open for discussion. That one is, is write that one in stone, son. So that's the other point, too, is that that's not negotiable. And I'm not, that's not going to be on the table. That's not going to be in the conversation. That's, that's off the table, and it should be off the table. So I'd also say that to, uh, to Dave Chappelle. Again, I like Dave Chappelle. This is no shade thrown at him, but we got to start thinking about these things in a, in a different way. And uh, it is possible to both have a living wage and have Medicare for all, have free college and end the wars. In fact, we have to do all these things. And um, I, where I sympathize with the Yang supporters is I agree with you. I support universal basic income. That's an area of disagreement I have with Bernie Sanders because Bernie has argued for a jobs guarantee, a federal jobs guarantee instead of universal basic income. But again, I think maybe if they have a meeting and Bernie endorses UBI, the whole nature of this race could change. So just some food for thought for everybody. So this story is interesting for a variety of reasons. This is in Bloomberg News. Andrew Yang supporters may go to Sanders in Iowa caucus. Now, um, you know, I'm sure most of you probably know how a caucus works, but it's not the same as a primary, and you kind of do need these alliances moving forward. And um, 
Andrew Yang casually brought up in an interview, like, yeah, I could see many of my supporters going to Bernie. Now, him saying that is not just him describing what he thinks is a matter of fact. I think him saying that is also a wink and a nod. And uh, it's to let his supporters know, like, hey, go to Bernie. So, um, you know, you saw a very positive reaction um, on Twitter about Andrew Yang saying this from the Bernie side. Uh, and they're like, hey, man, good looking out. <laughs> so um, this is also my way of saying good looking out. Now, if Andrew Yang, if Andrew Yang supporters are like upset about this or something, there's no reason to be upset about this. This is just the nature of the way primaries work. So uh, it is what it is. Might as well deal with it as it exists. And um, for him to do this is, uh, that's a step in the right direction for sure. Now, we can fully expect Biden tried to reach out to Klobuchar behind the scenes, and Klobuchar apparently seemed uninterested in making an alliance with Biden. But, um, you know, I think that there, there's a natural alliance between Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar and, and Joe Biden. And uh, there's also you know, uh, an alliance, a kind of a natural alliance between Bernie and Yang and Tulsi. And then Elizabeth Warren is, <laughs> only God knows what her and her supporters are doing these days. Um, but, you know, this is something I just touched on in a different segment. Um, I think we are at the point now where most of the candidates realize what's happening. And I think most of them, in a moment of honesty, will tell you, that it's either going to be Bernie or Biden at the end of the day. The polls show that it's a, just a race between those two at this point. So now I think some candidates are starting to think big picture. Now, you do have careerist candidates uh, who are looking for concessions for themselves. Like, I think, you know, Mayor Pete might drop out and endorse Biden if Biden offers him a position in the administration that's high up. I could definitely see that happening. But with Andrew Yang... I think he's genuinely ideological. And I mean that as a compliment. I mean ideological as in non-careerist, but I believe in something. So that's why, you know, I'm calling on the, the Bernie team to meet with Andrew Yang. And I hope that Andrew Yang can make his pitch to Bernie for a universal basic income. And if Bernie Sanders endorses a universal basic income, I think there's a decent chance that Andrew Yang would drop out and endorse Bernie. Um, so I think that that's something that should happen because I support universal basic income. Um, and in the case of Tulsi, that's another uh, fascinating situation because she has said previously, oh, I'm going to stay in the entire race. I'm going to go all the way to the convention. Okay. Um, but she also, she also just showed up to the Bernie headquarters the other day to talk to some of the people there. I think that's another Tulsi sign of like in a caucus when we're talking about alliances, Here's who I'm with. So um, that's another, I think, wink and a nod to the supporters. So it's really interesting seeing the dividing lines and uh, seeing how this is all shaping up. But as I stated previously, even though it's between Bernie or Biden at this point in time, man, we're in, da in dangerous waters, if you ask me, because all it takes is one dropout and endorsement to really change the nature of this race. So if Klobuchar drops out and endorses Biden, oh boy, that's bad for Bernie. If, if Mayor Pete drops out and endorses Biden, that's really bad for Bernie. Because in order for Bernie to win, I think he needs to win at least three of the first four states to be in a good position. Uh, because Biden has a big Super Tuesday lead in many states. So 
you can't have anything throw a wrench in that. You just can't. And Biden or, or Mayor Pete endorsing Biden, Biden or Klobuchar endorsing Biden would mean Biden would open up a giant lead there in, in Iowa. Now he's a little bit back in the pack, but if that were to happen, he'd probably get a pretty big lead. So we need to be cognizant of all these things. And, you know, that's why you need, you need alliances. You need common sense alliances. That doesn't mean you, you know, you concede your values. You don't, and you shouldn't. There's the same reason why the Joe Rogan endorsement of Bernie was perfectly fine. Bernie didn't change his values at all. Joe Rogan went to Bernie Sanders, where Bernie Sanders is. Bernie Sanders didn't go to where Joe Rogan is. So, you know, keep that alliance with Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard. And this is another reason why people need to chill out online if people are sniping at each other, uh, at, you know, the supporters. Like, there's nothing I hated more than um, the browbeating in the last election about, you should support my candidate, if I say so. Yeah, great voter outreach program. That's going to work. <laughs> it just is so stupid and so counterproductive. So that's why you've never heard me on this show ever lecture Tulsi supporters, lecture Yang supporters, even lecture Warren supporters. Here's what I – you have to do what I say and endorse Bernie and shut up and fucking get serious. Yeah. I never did that because it doesn't work, and also it's counterproductive. Everybody knows who I support, and I make the case for my candidate on a daily basis. And if somebody happens to organically come to our side, wonderful. If they don't, hey, man, that's fine, too. But when push comes to shove, if you treat people like people, then when the time comes where we need alliances, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have alliances. <laughs> it's not going to be, hey, weren't you the person who was browbeating me the other day? Like, that ain't going to work. So, you know, you should treat people with kindness and respect, and you should give credit where credit is due. And I've given Endless credit on this show to Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard. Now, there are times where I've criticized them, but that's par for the course. Um, you know, just like their, their candidates have criticized Bernie from time to time. It's a primary. It happens from time to time. But if you give credit where credit is due, and you're not scorched earth every three seconds, then when the time comes for alliances, we can have alliances. And it looks like this is exactly what Andrew Yang is kind of signaling at this point in time, which is a wonderful thing. So um, just wanted to point this out for everybody. We're, the day is quickly approaching, man. We're getting close to the Iowa caucus. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm nervous. So we need all the friends we could get, and this is a good start to that. Okay, next. Joe Biden has a problem. He cannot stop telling voters to go vote for other people. <laughs> this is such a classic Joe Biden issue. Uh, I'll be honest with you guys up front. I don't know how I feel about this. I, I'm not like, I know I'm supposed to be mad, but I'm like, that's sort of what's up. That he's just, <laughs> that he's just telling people, ah, go somewhere else. <laughs> I relate to that like angry old man energy. Anyway, let's watch. Joe Biden, I'm running for, in this case, running for President of the United States. Look me over. 
you like what you see, help out it, not vote for the other person. Well, we both are here. There were million people that were deported and separated from their families. And we had this specification of I don't even know what that last one meant. He said, yeah, of course you're not going to vote for me. You're too old to vote for me. Joe, almost all your supporters are old. <laughs> I don't know what that one means at all. Not even close. But anyway, there, the reason why Vice News made this uh, compilation is that there was a new example of this. The guy who was asking him about climate change, and he was like, go vote for somebody else. And he put his, he put his like finger on him or something. Um, and it was interesting because the dude wasn't even being mean. He was just like mildly saying like, Hey, man, like, I'll definitely vote for you in a general election. And actually, randomly, he's a freaking Tom Steyer supporter. We found him. We found the one Steyer supporter. Um, but, yeah, it, Joe, like, got – he snapped. He got so angry really quickly. He was like, <laughs> well, fine, go vote for somebody else. He's like, bro, I just said I'd vote for you in a general election. I have no problem doing that. But here's my – my main issue is climate change. And so here's why I think it's super important. And Joe's like, you better vote for somebody else. <laughs> So, listen, on the one hand, I actually enjoy this because um, it's funny, and I definitely relate to that, like, ornery old man energy that, like, like I don't care. <laughs> There's a healthy streak of, I just don't give a fuck running through this, which is, that's sort of gangster. So I like that. But then, on the other hand, and this is where the serious part of the conversation comes in, there's a mindset here, and the mindset isn't just the fuck it, which is the part I like. The mindset is also, guys, he genuinely thinks that there's like an endless pool of support for him. And so in his mind, if he tells, you know, a bunch of voters to piss off, he thinks like, I don't need you. I'm leading anyway, bitch. Like, I'm entitled to this shit. And, and that is like the Hillary mindset as well. That, that feeling of like, everything is just kind of noise and it's just a speed bump in the way. And, like, freaking Bernie, who's really close to me in the polls, like, whatever. Like, can we just get past this already and, and anoint me and, and do my coronation where I become our wonderful nominee? Yes! And then I get obliterated by Trump. Yes! <laughs> but that's his mindset. He thinks, like, yeah, whatever, minor details. A couple voters won't support me. Piss right off. But the thing is, like, Joe, first it was one voter. Then it was two voters. Then it was three voters. Now you're on like six or seven, and this is just the ones that were caught on tape. Like, bro, at some point, ain't nobody left, and you just told the entire country to piss off. So that's the serious angle of the conversation, is that the mindset here is also that of entitlement, and that like, well, since I have endless support, and since I'm guaranteed this anyway, you could fuck right off. And he, I think in Joe, in Joe Biden's mind, it's like, He's thinking like, no, 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 you're signing up for my shit. You're signing up for my shit. Whereas Bernie, his whole thing is like, not me, us. So in other words, like, come talk to me. What are your concerns, voter? And the vote, hey, man, you know, I got medical bills and I can't freaking afford them 
We're going to wipe out the medical bills. We're going to do Medicare for all. That's what we're going to do. So, in other words, with the voters and Bernie, it's like Bernie is going to where the voters are. Like, hey, tell me what's concerning you, and let's address this. And that's why he's such a great candidate, is that he's like, let's fix problems. (laughs) Whereas Joe Biden's like, ah, I want to be president, and uh, here's some nothing centristy things I want to do. And then when a voter's like, hey, here's my concern, he's like, I don't care. You're signing up for my thing. I'm not signing up for your thing. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh. Oh, Joe. What are we going to do with you? I mean, listen, I hate to say it, but in many ways, in many ways, this is mirroring the Trump primary in 2016 in that the establishment for the longest time didn't take Trump seriously. Trump kind of was building strong support, and then it got to the point where when they tried to stop him, it was too little too late. We're seeing a lot of that happening in this Democratic primary. For the longest time, they weren't really going hard at Bernie. They were still smearing him, and, but it was here and there, but they didn't really take him seriously. Now they just realize, that, oh, my God, he could win. Oh, my God, he could win. And this is their best other option is Joe Biden, who in many ways is, reminds me of Jeb Bush. Like Jeb Bush, to be fair, was way worse than that he fell off immediately. Biden's hanging on for dear life, but like it's hard to imagine him hanging on, hanging on, because he's barely coherent. <laughs> he's barely coherent. So you would imagine at some point it's got to just totally fall off. And so the parallels are there. The parallels are striking. Maybe it's more of a mix of like Jeb Bush or Joe Biden is Jeb Bush mixed with Hillary Clinton. Because Hillary still like was had that lead and then Bernie was was closing in on it. And she barely hung on with the help of the DNC. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what happens this time. But, man, the Joe Biden stories are... They give me a mix of emotions. This one in particular was like I related to it, but at the same time I also saw that he feels super entitled, and that's the downside of this. Okay, next. So I have um, a video here. I actually think this is, you know, a bunch of old news clips spliced together to show you what happened in, uh, in 1987, 1988. Joe Biden has run for president a number of times, and every time he got his ass handed to him on a silver platter. Um, it was bad. It was bad. Now, thankfully for him, like, People don't really remember what happened the last time. They just now he's just kind of viewed as like, oh, that was Obama's VP, and I know his name. So therefore, in polls, you know, many relatively apolitical Democratic voters are like, yeah, I guess Biden, sure, no problem. He's got that like default lead, I call it, default support. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to refresh your memory. 
on I won't I won't get into the 0708 primary. Joe Biden got obliterated in that primary. I don't know. I don't know if he even hit three percent. Like that was the Hillary Clinton uh, Obama. Joe Biden wasn't even in the last final three. It was Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and John Edwards were the final three. And then Biden was like way on the fringes and just attracted like almost no support. So that's the story of that race. It's just he was irrelevant. He was a non-factor. And then Obama picked him for VP, particularly because Obama and his team thought, hey, man, we need like an old white dude because we don't want like, you know, working class white people to be afraid to vote for a black dude. So go with like, you know, middle class Joe or whatever. Um, Now, but in 1987, 1988, when he ran, he dropped out in disgrace. Like, there was a big national scandal. Everybody was talking about it. And then eventually he was like, all right, you got me. And he dropped out. Now, what was the scandal or the scandals? Well, you're about to find out. Take a look. Democratic presidential candidate Joseph Biden today faces a controversy. Three weeks ago at a debate at the Iowa State Fair, he used phrases identical to those delivered by British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock. Biden seems to be claiming Kinnock's vision and life as his own. Why is it that my wife is sitting out there in the audience is the first in her family to ever go to college? Why is Janice the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get the university? My ancestors who worked in the coal mines in northeast Pennsylvania and they'll come up after 12 hours and play football. Eight hours underground and then come up and play football. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. There was no platform upon which they could stand. The notion that every thought or notion or idea you have to go back and find and attribute to someone, I think is, quite frankly, uh, ludicrous. The problem here is that Senator Biden told his audience he'd just been thinking about these things, and he failed to give any credit at all to his famous British speechwriter. And I was thinking on the way over here. (laughs) Now, that's a little too much, because, as you point out, What's behind the words? What's there? And a lot of people, the rap on Biden has always been that it's just a surface. I should have said, to paraphrase Neil Kinnock, it's the only time I didn't in all the times I've used it. But CBS News found a tape of a second instance. It reappeared in the New York Times with a new charge, that Biden had appropriated a famous litany from the late Robert Kennedy about what the gross national product cannot measure. Cannot measure the health of our children. The health of our children. The quality of our education. The quality of their education. The joy of their play. For the joy of their play. Biden gave Kennedy no credit. He has also quoted or paraphrased John Kennedy, Hubert Humphrey, and British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock, all without credit. Joseph Biden admitted today that he committed plagiarism when he was in law school. He said it was a mistake, but that it was unintentional. He quoted five pages of someone else's work without proper citation. I've done some dumb things, and I'll do dumb things again. He was given an F. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been dumb. To the political community in Washington, it all seems of a piece. Plagiarism at law school, plagiarism on the stump. The great communicator. Strike that. The great imitator. You don't steal verbatim, uh, or when you do, as he did 99% of the time, you give credit. Biden's critics say he sells himself as a man whose words and visions can inspire a new generation in politics. But if the thoughts, phrases, and visions really belong to others, 
It's a form of false advertising. Is it a wise idea, though, to take something that personal, anyway, from another politician and try and appropriate it to your own campaign? I think it was a stupid thing to uh, appropriate uh, material that was really very personal that was someone else's. Most people didn't know who he was. You know, Joe Biden, Biden, and now they're going to say, oh, yeah, he's the guy who plagiarized. That's yeah, a lot of people. First. Politically, that's devastating. These clips are devastating. He looks like a Joe Biden wind-up doll with somebody else's words coming out. If they're going to do things that are stupid as well as immoral, then they're probably too dumb to have the job of president. The voters are going to have to decide whether he was dishonest or dumb. Senator Joseph Biden may have more explaining to do. The new questions stem from taped remarks of Biden during an April campaign appearance in New Hampshire. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class to have a full academic scholarship. Went back to law school and, in fact, ended up in the top half of my class. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only 823 credits. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class, that he does not have three degrees from college, and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the University of Syracuse Law School. I mean, this guy comes off this whole thing as a flyway. Now Biden says Newsweek is right, his memory had failed him. And I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. But Joe Biden was victimized by the truth. Bye-bye, Biden. He may not know it yet, but I think this is very going to be very difficult for him to recover. Is Joe Biden dead meat, yes or no? I think so. Bob. That was fascinating to see all that, all those old news reports. Um, by the way, I believe it was, I believe it was Sean King who kind of went back and, and found all these clips and then put it together. So that's a, that's a lot of work because that's a lot of clips. So uh, shout out to him on that. Now, I actually have a weird um, take on some of this stuff. So I actually think, at least for the first three quarters of that clip, I thought that, like, a lot of the scandals were just really tepid scandals. Like, the whole plagiarism thing, I was like, okay, but what if his speechwriter was the one who plagiarized the, you know, the Labor Party speech or the RFK speech? Like, what if it was his speechwriter and his speechwriter gave him the speech and then Biden reads it and, you know, then people flip it on Biden and they're like, hey, man, why did you plagiarize it? And he's like, I'm, it, was, it was Craig. He's my speechwriter. <laughs> So, honestly, my first thoughts on it were like, I don't really care that much about the plagiarism thing because it just strikes me as such a quaint thing, in, 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 at least in the context of modern politics. Like, we're so used to scandals that are 80 times worse than that on a daily basis that that barely even registered for me. I was like, oh, that's it? Like, that's all it took for the nation to turn on him? I mean, guys, Fareed Zakaria... Uh, I think he admitted to plagiarism, and he still has a show on CNN, and, like, nobody cares. People are just like, oh, yeah, whatever, happened. It's like, oh, like a youthful indiscretion, no big deal. It is what it is. So that one, I just, it wasn't registering. I was like, whatever. But the part that I was like, oh, <laughs> was um, when he gave those, like, really long, detailed lies about his, uh, his time in college. He's like, I got a law school full scholarship, 
top, finished top half of my class, three degrees, and they were like, actually, he was, uh, what was it, 76 out of 83 or 85 or something like that. So bottom half of his class, only one degree, not three degrees. Um, and then when he's, when he gets caught on all that, and then he goes out there and he's like, I'd love to compare my IQ to yours. I think I'd do well in that. <laughs> Bro, what are you doing? Take the L, dog. Take the L. <laughs> That's such a Trumpian response. Like, hey, bro, here's like eight demonstrable lies you were caught in. He's like, but I'm like a very stable genius, okay? <laughs> That's what that was. But my IQ is actually really high. Oh, my God, Joe, stop it. Reel it in a little bit, bro. Reel it in. The thing that's so funny about those is that it's such gratuitous lies. So, in other words, like nobody gave a fuck that you were 76 out of 83 or 85, um, you know, in your class. Nobody would have cared. Nobody would have cared that you had one degree instead of three. Nobody cares. You, even if you didn't go to college, nobody would care. Nobody would hold that against you. But when you go out there and say, oh, I was top half of my class and I had the full scholarship and I had three degrees, and like all of that is not true and all of that is fact-checked, well, then it's like you put yourself in a position where you look like a dipshit. You know what I mean? Like if you just, if you just didn't say those lies, everything would have been fine, but he lied anyway. So, guys, I mean, listen, the takeaway here is that's super Trumpian. Like that is super you know, all ego, all narcissism, I'm going to create this, you know, cartoon version of myself in my own head and then project it onto the world. That's pathological liar shit. Now, listen, again, I like to think I'm being fair and, and if anything, overly kind in this segment, because I just told you through three quarters of that clip, I was still like, is that it? That's just the plagiarism thing. That's it. That's all they got on them. Because, again, in today's – like, imagine if there was a scandal that broke today that Trump plagiarized. The level to which that I would not give a fuck and that would, would barely even register on the national radar is immeasurable. The media might try to make it, oh, my God, Trump into plagiarism. I'd be like, yeah, you know, but I'm pretty sure starving Venezuela is worse. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that? I'm pretty sure 7 million people losing their health insurance under him because of his policies. I'm sure that's worse. I'm sure 78% of the country living paycheck to paycheck is worse. I'm sure his tax cut, which 83% of the benefits went to the top 1%. I'm pretty sure that's worse. I'm sure that, you know, the, the drone war and the massive increase in drones and, and high civilian casualty rate, pretty sure that's worse. Pretty sure the random assassination of an Iranian general, which almost brought us into an all-out hot war, pretty sure that's worse. So the plagiarism thing would barely fucking register. I'd be like, whatever, move on. I'm not surprised by that at all. That's how the kind of guy Trump is. In the case of Biden, honestly, my reaction is kind of similar to that part. It's like, yeah, maybe a speechwriter did it. Maybe, like, it's just not that terrible. But once you start, once you get into the pathological lies about his college record, I'm like, oh, okay. So that's the point. That's why Sean King put all this together. It's just to be like, hey, just so everybody knows, Trumpian pathological liar. <laughs> Especially the IQ part. Why would you say that? I, uh, yeah, sure, I was caught lying uh, in a million ways, but uh, I bet my IQ is higher than yours. Very stable genius. <laughs> so anyway, um, there you go. Uh, what I would caution to people, though, now listen, I'm, I'm a news and politics show. So, like, this is a story today. I have to talk about it. It is what it is. But what I would caution, um, you know, people engaged and involved in this primary is this is – this ain't it. Like, you don't, you don't have to talk about this as our main line of argument against Joe Biden. Okay? You talk about policy. You talk about, you know, uh, his support of the bankruptcy bill, which really crushed students because that, you know, 
made it so that you can't file for bankruptcy on student loan debt. And it was a very, that piece of legislation was massively biased in favor of the uh, big financial institutions and against regular people. So you talk about that. You talk about Joe Biden wanting to cut Social Security and being upfront with that and talking about it endlessly, at least back in the day. Now he's pretending like he didn't say it, but he's wrong. Talk about that. Talk about his vote for the Iraq war. You know, that's gigantic. Talk about his support for outsourcing deals. These are the things you talk about because these are the substantive things about policy and record that really land a lot harder than any of this stuff does. So that's my word of warning for everybody. Again, I'm a politics show, so I like have to talk about the news of the day, and this is the news of the day. Um, but I would say there are better things to focus on, and we can keep our eye on the ball, especially so close to Iowa. Okay. All right, let me take a break. When we come back, um, they're going after Bernie. They are going after Bernie. And uh, there's now an ad buy against him in Iowa. So we'll talk about that and much, much more. Stay right there. We'll be right back.
bitch. All right, y'all. I'm back. <clears throat> All right, let's continue. Let's continue. They're coming after America's dad, and we are not going to let that happen. There's a group called Democratic Majority for Israel, and uh, they're doing an ad buy against Bernie Sanders in Iowa. Now, um, this group is just a, a front for APAC. That's all it is. And uh, they are extremely triggered by the fact that Bernie Sanders would like to um, treat Israelis and Palestinians equally and uh, give Palestinians their rights and basic human dignity. They think that's non-negotiable. So um, here's their attack ad that they're running in Iowa against them. seen the damage that Trump and the Republican Congress have done. I doubt if Bernie Sanders can beat Trump. I like Bernie. I think he has great ideas. But Michigan, Pennsylvania, Iowa, they're just not going to vote for a socialist. I do have some concerns about Bernie Sanders' health, considering the fact that he did have a heart attack. I think it's very important that Democrats nominate somebody that can beat Trump. I don't feel as though Bernie Sanders would do well to Donald Trump. I just don't think Bernie can beat Trump. The EMFI attack is responsible for the content of this advertising. Okay, I have so much to say about this. First of all, you can't just say, oh my God, I don't think he could beat Trump without actually making an argument. You have to make an argument. <laughs> they, they skip that part. They're like, I don't know, just go out there and say like, him versus Trump, I don't even know, bro. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't know if he could even beat Trump. Show your work, as they used to say in middle school when you took a test. Show your work. What are you doing? You can't just say that. Like, go ahead. Explain. Go. Go. The reality is, if you look at, you know, the average of polls, not only does Bernie beat Trump, he beats Trump by the widest margin. So what are you talking about? And then I really lost it. I got super triggered when Homeboy was like, you know, in uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania and Iowa. I don't think he could beat him there. He's like citing Bernie Sanders' strongest states. You know those states where Bernie is like definitely going to win and win running away? Yeah, those are the ones. I don't know if he could win those. (laughs) Based on what? As I've told you guys before, the Rust Belt, which is the area of the country that really the election depends on. Like, whoever wins the Rust Belt is going to win the election. You might not like that, but that's the way our system works right now. So, uh... Those are the places he performs the best. And, you know, you have – there's been uh, political science research done there and polling done there. And the conclusion was the people support populist Democrats over Republicans. So really the only reason they went to Trump was that he was trying to portray himself as a populist Republican. He was there running against NAFTA and TPP and doing a lot of rallies in the lead-up to the election in 2016. Uh, Hillary was nowhere to be found. Now, they support Bernie over Trump, though. That's the thing. And they're just totally ignoring that. It's really insane. And then 
um, spoke about the heart attack. Oh, listen. You've had doctors come out now and say, oh, that, I mean, now he's healthier than he's been in like a decade. Like he's super healthy now. And, you know, the chance of another cardiac incident over the next like six years is really low. So, you know, even though it was a, a terrible thing and it was scary and we were all like, oh, my God. Fact of the matter is, he's healthier now. He's been in a really long time. You could argue he's healthier now than he was when he ran in 2015 and 2016. And then also, Joe Biden has had a variety of medical emergencies on top of the fact that, let's be serious, he's not all there anymore. Like, he's just not. I mean, he's not as with it as he used to be. That's just, it's so obvious that Bernie's all there mentally, and now physically he's better than he's been in a long time. Joe Biden is not all there mentally, and he's also had, you know, medical emergencies in the past. Um, and I, Mike Bloomberg had the same freaking thing that Bernie had. So it's, you're, like, th- these are not good arguments. These are really, really silly arguments. There was one other thing that I'm forgetting that I needed to respond to. Let me play the ad one more time. The most important thing is we have to be Trump. And we've seen the damage that Trump and the Republican Congress have done. I doubt if Bernie Sanders can beat Trump. I like Bernie. I think he has great Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> And then the final part is, I forget who who pointed this out, but somebody did. They said, you know Bernie's in a good place when even in the attack ad against him, you have somebody say, you know, I like him. He's got a lot of really good ideas. (laughs) That's the attack ad that they're doing that. You want to know why they're doing that? Because they're smart enough to know you can't go scorched earth on Bernard. It's just going to backfire on you as it's backfired every time. Look at what happened with Elizabeth Warren when she tried to say, Oh, he's secretly sexist. She plummeted in the polls after that, and he went up. So this is like they're trying to avoid a situation like that. So they're saying like, no, 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 don't, don't get it twisted. I really like Bernie, and he's got good ideas, but. So they're trying to like hedge so that people put their guard down, and they go, well, I don't know. I guess they got a point when they say the other things. And listen, here's the, the sad part. The sad part is, This ad isn't as dumb as it looks. I know to you and me, we look at it and we laugh and we have fun and it's silly and all that stuff. But, but, but. They're playing into the one issue where people really do have reservations about Bernie. And we just covered the polling on this. This is like the main issue to many people about Bernie. When you ask people, hey, which candidate relates to you the most? Bernie. Which candidate is for the policies that you're for? Bernie. Which candidate do you think um, is most suited to be Trump? Biden. Now, again, they're wrong. They're wrong. And I hope we don't have to learn that the hard way. They're definitely wrong. But this is what people think. And I think that this group, Democratic Majority for Israel, APAC, they had people who aren't stupid figure out a way to go after Bernie. And this is, even though this appears silly, it actually has the potential to be effective, Um, which is why we got to, we got to outwork them. We got to go around them. You got to canvas. You got to make phone calls. You got to do text messages. You got to knock on doors. You got to do everything you can to get this guy elected because ain't nothing going to be easy, man. It's just not. We want it to be easy. We want it to be a cakewalk, but they're going to, they're going to pull out all the stops to try to, to stop us. And um, 
The other thing is acknowledge what's happening here. You know, Ro Khanna was tweeting the other day, um, like basically saying, I call on, you know, these whatever cent- random centrist Democrats, Paul Begala and others like, oh, denounce this because of unity. And I got to say, guys, no, drop the whole like, well, what about unity? They never meant it. They never meant it. So let's stop. Let's stop pretending like that's a real thing. Like, oh, yeah, like, come on, guys, unity. They only say that to try to get the left to fall in line and support their candidate. So when the left fires back and when the centrist groups attack Bernie and we're like, but you should unify with us. They don't agree with us. Hit them back. Hit them back. You want to hit them back? Hit them back where it hurts. Talk about how, you know, APAC is, it's literally, Ilhan Omar was 100% correct. It is corruption. APAC means Israeli money in politics, which is just as deleterious to our democracy as Saudi Arabian money in our politics. Why are you allowed to say Saudi money in our politics is corruption, but if you say it about Israel, all of a sudden you're an anti-Semite? Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because they've cynically weaponized anti-Semitism, and they say any, any kind of criticism of Israel, any kind of criticism of the corruption of money in politics equals anti-Semitism. I'm not playing your stupid fucking game. I don't agree with you. I think it's dumb. I think it's a silly trick that you're trying to use, and I see right through it. So hit them back. Hit them back. Don't have to, why don't you guys unify with us? I don't want to unify with APAC. Why would I want to unify with APAC? I disagree with them on everything. Why would I want to unify with them? No, I'm going to go after them. I'm going to say, you know what we're going to do? We're also going to stand up for Palestinian rights. That's what we're going to do. I mean, the whole position of APAC is, is it's a group that supports Israel, and it's right-leaning. So I don't agree with them. Why the hell would I want to unify with them? Why would I want to browbeat them to stop attacking our candidate? They don't agree with our candidate. So that's, listen, I, how many times have I said this? You don't win a democratic civil war by pretending we're not in a civil war. You win it by acknowledging we're in a civil war and fighting back. So I don't want to see any of this weak stupidity. I want to see people going around these monsters and making sure that you knock on doors, making sure that you do everything you can to get Bernie elected, and then everybody who's in the fight, I got a message for you. Fight. Okay, I got more Bernard Sanders. I'm gonna now I'm gonna give you the good news. Okay, here we go. Bernie Sanders has, um, he's been releasing some pretty solid ads leading into the Iowa caucus. Here's a few of them. Spent my entire political life fighting for those people who do not have the wealth and the power, trying to do what's right. And uh, that's really what it's about. This is our nation, and we're not going to let a handful of corporations take it away from us. Stop the war effort. Stop the military machine. We want decent education for our kids. 
Entertainment gives us the opportunity to create millions of new, decent-paying, productive jobs. We want the millionaires and the multinational corporations who have not been paying their fair share of taxes to start paying if we stand together. There is nothing we cannot accomplish. Let us go forward together. Thank you. For a hundred years, presidents have talked about the need to guarantee health care for all. I repeatedly asked the Congress to pass a health program. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. Health care is not just a privilege, but a right for every single American. Now is the time to take on the greed of the health care industry and finally pass Medicare for all. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. I literally just talked about that on the show the other day. People who watch the show regularly will know that I was like, you know, they should do an ad where they have, like, you know, JFK talking about how we need universal health care. And then they cut an ad with JFK talking about universal health care. But they did one better. Actually, two better. Because they also had Truman in there, and then they threw Obama in there as well. Now, listen, you're really educated on politics. We're, I, I am too, so when we talk about this, you all know that Obama gave away the farm in that negotiation. It is, it's true. It is what it is. He went from, uh, you know, saying, hey, if we started from scratch, single-payer Medicare for all is the way to go. And then he came to, well, let's fight for a public option. And then it took like two and a half minutes for him to be like, okay, let's do Mitt Romney's idea. Let's do that. Let's do an individual mandate system. So um, there's criticism there of Obama. But what he said in that clip is true. Yeah, health care should be a right, not a privilege. Agreed. That's why we need Medicare for all. But what Bernie's doing here is smart. He's basically using Obama's words to bolster his own argument. Now, if you talk to Obama, he'll be like, no, I, the furthest I go is public option, because Obama's a you know, centrist neoliberal. But um, it's smart of him to kind of use the legacy to push for the proper policy. Um, I think that's really intelligent, because Obama actually has a very high approval rating for a former president at this moment. Now, we can get into why that is. That's a long conversation. I do think that to some extent people could separate the person from the policies, or they do that. You could argue that it's not smart to do that, but people do do that. Um, but, yeah, anyway, we don't need to have that long conversation right now. Bottom line is Bernie is using the legacy of former Democratic presidents to say, hey, let's do single-payer Medicare for all. I love it. I love it. And that's that's when Democrats win. Democrats win when they have people saying, yes, we can do it, and we are going to try our darndest to do it. They don't win when they go Amy Klobuchar style, and it's like, no, I don't think we can do it. Let's be serious. What? <laughs> what? Why don't you run in the Republican Party? Their message is like, let's change nothing or not much at all. Like, oh, wow, very, you know, inspiring. Um, and then the first ad, wow, or the first ad, I should say, that was a great one because that shows him throughout the years saying the same amazing stuff. You see him, um, he starts with end corruption, then stop the wars, then universal health care, then a jobs bill, then raise taxes on corporations and the rich, and it's him throughout the years. Oh, I love that. And people are going to look at that and be like, wow, he's really been about this life for a long time, hasn't he? Funniest thing, man, and this happened just this week. Jonathan Chait who I like, uh, I always used to call him Jonathan Chait, and I like Chait better. So I think I'm going to go with that, (laughs) even though that's not how you say it. 
But uh, Jonathan uh, Chait, 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 whatever, uh, that dude, he's goofy centrist, of course, but he, uh, he, what, oh, no, 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 was it him or was it, what's his face? Ah, I'm blanking. What's his name? The other, there's a neocon dude, not uh, Jonathan Chait. There's a, uh, Max Boot. It came to me, yes. <laughs> It was either Max Boot or, or Jonathan Chait. Um, one of them wrote an article, and they were like, you know, Bernie talks about his consistency, but one could argue that's actually a detriment. It's a bad thing. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's been saying the same thing for decades, which means he hasn't grown Bro, <laughs> come on, bro, come on. You you don't even think that what you're saying is convincing. Who says that? Like, what do you want, somebody who's been, like, spot on his entire career and saying the same thing, or would you rather have somebody who hasn't been saying the same thing all this time? It's like, yeah, he was never really wrong about much, so we didn't need to evolve. <laughs> You've been wrong about stuff, so you're in a position where you have to evolve. But they don't. They, they don't even evolve, but they, like, pretend they evolve. But anyway, I digress from that. Bottom line is, they're actually trying to flip this on them as if it's a negative. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're helping Bernie. I told you guys the other day, when we got that round of polls, like, last week or two weeks ago, that was like, Bernie's doing really well. I was like, okay, here we go. Buckle up. Because they they're finally realized, oh, my God, I was just about to happen. He could win. He could win this race. So the establishment realized that. And what did they do? They're like, okay, all systems go. Got to attack them all out. So what did we get? What was their big uh, anti-Bernie takedown? An article in the Washington Post, an article in the New York Times about Bernie bros. <laughs> they were like, man, his supporters are so mean online. You guys don't even really get it. Like, my mentions are a mess. whoop you freaking do bro? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your menchies. Nobody cares. Uh, by the way, what a criticism. It's like, you know, he's got a really passionate base of online supporters. Terrible. <laughs> oh, you mean like that thing that Trump had that he also won with? Yeah, Bernie's got that thing that, like, leads to victory, but so stupid. The other point they like making is, um, man, oh, my God, polls show that a lot of Bernie supporters wouldn't vote for the other Democrats in a general election. But wait a second. Isn't that – you guys always make that argument – as a good thing for other candidates. Like, well, I mean, come on, if you, you know, that's why you got to vote for Hillary because what you need, you have to beat Trump. And so, you know, if people are going to vote for Hillary in the primary and then not vote in the general, that's more reason to vote for Hillary. So they make that argument as a positive for other candidates, but for Bernie, oh no, no, it's a negative. No, by your own logic, if beating Trump is the most important thing, well then you should vote for Bernie because then we'll beat Trump because the whole coalition will stay together. If you don't vote for Bernie, you vote for somebody else. Yeah, many Bernie supporters won't vote for that other Democrat. Whose problem is that? That's the other Democrat's problem. They fucked up. It's not the supporters. What, are you going to voter shame your way into victory? It's not going to happen. So by your own argument, you should be voting for Bernie. See, this is what I mean. Like, all the things they say, they're not thought out. They're just like, I don't know, Bernie bros are mean, you know, uh, something, something, Venezuela, big government bad. They got nothing on them. They got nothing. It's just... 
the problem is there's a narrative of like, oh my God, the establishment Democrats, they're nefarious, backroom bad actors. That's true. But also there's another piece of that recipe. And the other piece of that recipe is they're fucking idiots. <laughs> they're totally incompetent. They're morons. So it's not just like nefarious backroom conspiracies. It's like that mixed with the dumbest people on the planet who are wrong about everything. So that's the positive part for Bernie, is that, of course, they all want to sabotage him and they all want to take him down. But if they keep going at the clip that they're going right now and using the arguments they're using now, good luck, biznitch. It ain't going to work. So anyway, those ads are great. And uh, get ready because it's about to happen. Keep fighting, man. Keep fighting. Stay involved because we got to get this dude over the finish line. It is super important for the fate of the country. Okay, now we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you an update on the Kobe thing. We're going to play the Shaq memorial for him. So we spoke about it on the last show, um, Kobe Bryant and his daughter and uh, seven other passengers died in a helicopter crash uh, in L.A. And, you know, it, what do you even say about it? I did my best to, um, you know, do justice to what happened and talk about um, how much I like Kobe and what he meant to me and many of his fans and how terrible I feel about it and everything. But again, I don't think in a situation like this, words really do justice. You find out at a time like this how inadequate words are to really describe a feeling because the feeling is so powerful that there's nothing that captures it. Um, well, Shaq, of course, is a, you know, former teammate of Kobe Bryant. Um, they've had their ups and downs, but he said repeatedly, this is like my, my little brother. That's who he is. I treat him like my little brother. I was his big brother. Yes, we had our ups and downs, but you know, there was a, an underlying love and respect that was just immovable. So he, NBA on TNT, which is in my opinion, the best show on television, and it's not even close. Um, they had an hour tribute show to Kobe the other day. There was supposed to be a Lakers game, um, and they canceled the Lakers game or suspended the Lakers game. They pushed it off to another date. But they took that time, and they did an hour-long tribute to Kobe. And I'm going to show you Shaq's um, emotional words here. And I think what he's saying is actually really important given the circumstances and given how much this is impacting him and how much this is impacting a lot of people. And I will say, before I play the clip, let me say this. I'm a Knicks fan for life. Everybody knows that if they know me and they've watched the show or Kyle and Corrin. Um, but what I will say is, obviously, the Knicks are bad like they're bad almost every year. Obviously, they're even like out of the playoff running at this point. Just pathetic. But this season, go Lakers. Because LeBron James also said, you know, some very emotional comment, very emotional statement on it. And uh, he basically said, like, I want to do your legacy justice. And who doesn't want to see the Lakers now win the chip this season? 
And before, I was 50-50 between, I mean, obviously, again, my Knicks were out of it. I know that. I'm not stupid. So it's like, okay, who do I want to see win? I was like 50-50 between the Bucks and the Lakers. Now I'm 100% Lakers. I want to see the Lakers win the championship. I want to see them do it for Kobe. Um, it, it would just be fitting. It would just be fitting. But who's not a Lakers fan now this season? Like, you have to be. If you don't, what, do you not have a heart? <laughs> so, anyway, go Lakers. But here's Shaq's emotional tribute to Kobe, and there's a very important message in here. That's his son. Thank you. 
get the calls and then you finally feel it's concerned and just, it just, you know, my spirit just uh, left my body. I just wish I could be able to say one thing to the, one last thing to the people that we, we lost because, uh, you know, once you're gone, you're gone forever and, you know, we should never take stuff like that uh, for granted. Yeah, so, I mean, the message is you can't take life for granted. Everything is really fragile. Everything can change in a second. And um, you have to tell the people that you love that you love them and cherish every moment. And as humans, you know, we oftentimes just default to existing and, you know, homeostasis. It's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not... Up here, I'm not down here. I'm just kind of coasting in the middle. It is what it is. And everything could seem dull and repetitive. But, you know, you start looking at things a little bit differently when you realize, oh, so there's no guarantees here. Like, we're not all going to live to be 90 years old in our rocking chair with wrinkles and gray hair. It's not going to happen. And um, it's a stark reminder of that. And when you see something like that happen it's like a wake-up call, and everybody's like, oh, my goodness. Whoa, this is all real. We should try to cherish every second and definitely tell your friends and your loved ones and your family that you love them because you never know. So you almost want to make it so that, like, every interaction you have with people that you're close to, make it like, would I be okay with it if it was my last interaction? And if you treat it like that, I'm sure it helps put people more at peace and at ease knowing that, you know, their message of love and affection is definitely broadcast out there to the people that they love. Um, but, yeah, man, there's no there's no guarantees in this world. I was telling you guys, this one stung really bad because Kobe was always, like, superhuman to me. I'm the exact age to experience like all his whole career arc and all of his greatness. I'm a little too young for Michael's. I, I remember maybe one year of Michael Jordan. Uh, Kobe, I remember all of it. I remember all of it. I remember watching like the early 2000s finals. I remember all of it. And uh, he seemed invincible. Um, the other thing that I'll mention real quick is I listen to, you know, somebody who's an expert on this kind of stuff talk about the accident. And um, early on, there were a bunch of theories out there as to, you know, how this could have happened. Um, weather is one theory. Mechanical failure is another theory, namely because uh, there was somebody who, not an eyewitness because he couldn't see because of the fog, but he heard it and he said the helicopter sputtered out and then you heard a big boom. Um, so mechanical fa- failure is an option, and bad weather is an option. Um, but the person, the expert who I heard talk about this, said that um, when you're dealing with a situation like they were in, where there's like extreme fog, it is super easy to get disoriented. And you literally could get to the point where you don't know what's down and what's up and what's left and what's right. Because if you can't see the horizon, 
your inner ear, it's all out of whack. So um, it's possible he just got disoriented. And, uh, you know, what he thought was going up was going down. That's very possible. And the expert who I heard talk about this said, um, basically, it could be a law that you have a pilot and a co-pilot. Because there's a lot going on when you're flying. In planes, you have a pilot and a co-pilot. In helicopters, you don't have to have a co-pilot. But there's a lot of stuff going on. And that extra voice absolutely can be life-saving. The other thing is there's no black boxes. There's no law to have black boxes in helicopters. I don't know why. I don't know why that's not a law. Put a black box in a helicopter. Put a co-pilot in a helicopter. Yes, it'll increase costs for the various companies, but planes have them. You know, uh, what, it'll cost Kobe another hundred grand a year, hundred forty grand a year. I think he could swing that. <laughs> I think anybody who would fly in a private helicopter can afford to also have the co-pilot. So uh, that was one of the things that was recommended. Again, it is still possible that it was mechanical failure. Um, but what this expert was saying is they were told by air traffic control that they couldn't follow the highway that they were following anymore because there was a, a go-around happening with an airplane. So in other words, at, at an airport, uh, which was the airspace they were going to have to fly through, a plane tried to land, couldn't land, so had to go back up and around and try to land again. So they didn't have clearance to follow the same highway they were following. They were told to go to a different highway. So they went to go move to that different highway, but the fog got worse, and they, um, they overshot the road that they were then supposed to follow. They overshot it. Um, and right before the crash, he pulled up big time and then went down. Now, either there, when he went up, presumably to try to get above the fog and to also find the – because apparently with this kind of fog, you could see – you can't see it when you're looking straight and you're in it, but when you're above it, you could see down through it. I know it's really weird, but apparently this is what this aviation expert was saying about this particular kind of fog that they have in this area of California. So he was apparently trying to get up so he could look down and see the road. And either when he pulled up, there was some sort of mechanical failure and they just plummeted to the ground. Or because the fog was so dense and visibility was zero, he didn't even realize that he, had, he was basically going into the ground. I mean, I know that sounds to me when I'm hearing that, I'm a layman. I hear that and I'm like, Are you, you know when you're going down. That's what I was thinking. But according to this aviation expert, if you have zero visibility, you at a, after a while, you don't know that left is left, right is right, up is up, and down is down. So he could have theoretically crashed right into the mountains thinking he was moving left or thinking he was going up. Oh, man, it's just it's so, it's so terrible. All of it's so terrible. Um, anyway, rest in peace, Kobe and Gianna and the seven others who were killed. And... Um, you know, that was very touching from Shaq, and it hurts to see another person in so much pain. All right, next. So the U.S. just set a new record. Unfortunately, it's a war record, so um, it's not a positive thing. 
Common Dreams says the following, Air Force jets dropped 7,423 bombs on Afghanistan in 2019, the highest number since records began in 2006, beating out 2018. Stars and the Stripes explained how the bombing affects the Afghan people. The AFCENT figures include bomb and missile strikes, 105mm shells fi- fired by AC-130 gunships and strafing fire from 20 uh, millimeter cannons and up. Millimeter. There's no way that that's right. 20-something cannons and up. <laughs> Airstrikes predominantly conducted by U.S. forces caused 579 out of the 1,149 civilian war fatalities attributed to pro-government forces in Afghanistan during the nine months of 2019, according to the most recent United Nations data. Um, Now, I do have to say, as a general rule, whatever numbers they're giving you, it's higher. That's been the the case uh, for quite a while. So, you know, they say 579 of 1,149 civilian casualties um, are attributed to the pro-government side, or, or excuse me, 579 of the 1,149 are from the U.S., but they're all civilian casualties. I think I'm butchering this. Let me, let me read that one more time. The AFCENT figures include bomb and missile strikes, airstrikes predominantly conducted by U.S. forces. Oh, okay. So, so here, I got it. Let me explain it. So 579 of the civilian casualties were from the U.S. And again, I think that's a lowball number, but that's their official number. 579 civilian casualties from the U.S. 1,149 civilian casualties from the U.S. allies, so the pro-government Afghan forces. So those numbers, even though I think they're lowballing, are high. That's a lot of civilian death, man. That's a lot of civilian death. Also, 7,423 bombs we dropped on Afghanistan. We've been there since 2001. We're talking about in 2019 we had these numbers. What are we accomplishing as a result of this? What's being fixed? What's the end goal? What's the definition of victory? What do you think we could have bought here at home? for the cost of those 7,423 bombs. Economists have spoken about this for a long time. There's something called the multiplier effect. When you build a bomb and then you blow up the bomb, there's no multiplier effect for the economy with that. You just get one, you know, one, one-time stimulus from that. Because, oh, the jobs to create the missiles and all that stuff. When you have a situation where you spend that money on schools, you spend that money on healthcare, you spend that money on social programs for average people, that money keeps circulating around in the economy. When you blow a bomb up, the economic benefit is nearly non-existent. It's a one-time thing done. When you spend money on the poor, when you spend money on education and health care and programs 
that help people, that money keeps circulating around in the economy. It doesn't leave. It doesn't blow up in one go. So even from a pure economic perspective, which is kind of deranged to even have this conversation from a pure economic perspective, the benefits of making war, our economy based on warfare are, are minimal. I've said it before on this show, but our welfare is warfare in this country. Our welfare is warfare. And what we need to do is instead have a jobs program, have a Green New Deal, have a new New Deal. Um, find a way to, in a non-immoral fashion, create jobs and build an economy. So, I mean, listen. What's so amazing about this is nobody's talking about it. And that's what drives me crazy. Nobody is talking about the fact that we just dropped 7,423 bombs in our 18th year of an endless war. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about that. It seems like nobody cares, but the 579 civilians who we killed care. The 1,149 civilians who were killed by the pro-government forces care. The areas that are under Taliban control, those places care. We effectively helped break the region and led to an increase in hostilities and an increase in the opposing side. This is another phenomenon that we've talked about before, is that the other side has gotten stronger as a result of the war on terror. There's been an increase in al-Qaeda members and ISIS members, and it's had the exact opposite of the intended effect. The whole idea of the war on terror was, hey, let's defeat terrorism. Well, you've increased the number of terrorists. So at this point, nobody even bothers to explain why we're there, what we're doing, what victory is. Two presidents now have run on getting out of wars, and they've both kept us in them. Trump used to say all the time to get out of Iraq and Afghanistan. Now he's escalating in Iraq and Afghanistan. So this fact is devastating. This fact is something you're not going to see anybody talk about in mainstream media. And it shows how broken the system is. It shows how nobody cares in polite society and elite society about the stuff that they should care about, and they don't talk about the stuff that they should talk about. 7,423 bombs for nothing. Over 1,000 civilian deaths for nothing. If there was ever a time to get in the street, it's now. If there was ever a time to elect an anti-war president, it's now. Because apart from this being immoral and unethical and wrong at every level, something we shouldn't be doing, it is also a colossal waste of resources, resources that could go here where we desperately need them. Clean water in Flint, Michigan, upgrading our infrastructure, which gets a graded D+, a jobs program. All that stuff is absolutely necessary. And we're not doing it. We're blowing things up and making things worse overseas. All right, now. I want to give you guys an update on impeachment. I think you'll get a kick out of this. Let me give everybody an update on impeachment. 
Senate Republicans are eyeing a quick acquittal of President Trump that could have the trial wrap as soon as Friday. If GOP senators are able to defeat an effort on Friday to call witnesses or compel new documents, Republicans are signaling they can move quickly to to the final votes on acquittal. Senator John Barrasso, a Republican of Wyoming, said he expects senators will move quickly to an acquittal vote. That's the plan, the number three GOP senator told reporters and asked if Republicans would move directly to acquittal if the witness vote fails. Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, during an interview on Fox News, said that the president will be acquitted, and I think it will be this week. So that's it. That's it. It's over. <laughs> Congratulations, Democrats. How'd that feel? Did it feel good? How'd that go? Oh, it was an abysmal failure. Oh, wow. If only uh, there were people who predicted that. Not just people on the right, but good faith people on the left who said, it ain't going to work. There were only a few of them, and I think you know where to find them. So that's it. That's it. It's all what it comes to. Now, I've tried to follow some of the impeachment stuff, the actual hearing. It's so beyond insufferable that I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Everything is like the Democrats with their grandstanding and acting. The fate of the republic. The fate of the republic. Everything is melodramatic and ridiculous. And so much of it. They spoke about Russia. Adam Schiff kept talking about Russia. And it's like, wait, I thought that the Mueller report actually came back and they didn't do anything to Trump. They didn't say, we're indicting him over X, Y, they didn't do that. They didn't prove anything. That's right. That is what the Mueller report found. Adam Schiff couldn't get over it. And so he keeps referencing Russia stuff in this uh, impeachment, which is nominally about Ukraine and about Trump abusing his authority by trying to get an investigation into Biden from the Ukrainian uh, government and holding over their head the subsidy that we give them. So uh, listen, the Democrats botched this in a thousand different ways. And this is all it comes down to. That's it. By the way, what did I tell you? When impeachment passed the House, 55% uh, approval rating to impeach and remove Trump. And it went up. Why? Because the Democrats won in the House. So when you win, your numbers tend to go up. So, but then what did I tell you? Now when you go to the Senate, it's going to fall. Guess what happened? It fell. Support went from 55%. Now it's 50%. 50% support. Uh, impeaching and removing, a drop of five points from right after impeachment passed the House. And guess what? When Trump gets acquitted, his numbers will go up more. It'll go from, uh, you know, the 50% that support impeaching and removing him, it's going to drop to maybe 45% that support impeaching and removing him, which means the majority will be uh, against impeachment. Because when you win, the numbers go in your direction. It happened with Bill Clinton. It's going to happen with Donald Trump. So all this noise, all this time, all this energy, and you're going to increase his approval rating and make it more likely he wins in 2020. Congratulations on being the dumbest fucking people on the planet. It's just so dumb. Even if you were to believe in impeachment and want to do something in the realm of impeachment, okay. But pick something substantive where even if you lose, at least you made such a strong argument to the public that the numbers stay more in your favor. So in other words, if you made this whole thing about emoluments corruption, I think it's possible that you could have held over 50% of the country saying, yes, he should be impeached and removed. Because those arguments are way more powerful than fear-mongering about Russia and naughty phone calls. Um, 
And that's an important point. If you make it over genocide in Yemen, I think that the facts of that are so horrific that people would lean more in support of impeaching him. Anybody who's convincible would be convinced. And so you'd have, you know, maybe 55 percent, it would stay at 55 percent of the country that supports impeaching, even if Trump were acquitted. But now it's a situation where your arguments are weak as fuck and Trump is going to be acquitted. So the polls are going to swing right back in his direction and all this was for nothing. And then the other hilarious thing to me is both sides are still silly in that they don't realize the political implications. So the Republicans are like, no uh, witnesses. I don't want any witnesses. I don't want to drag this thing out. And the Democrats are like, no, let's drag this thing out. Guys, the more this thing happens, the more things swing in favor of Trump. So, you know, in a world that made sense, the Democrats would be like, let's just get this shit over with and, you know, no witnesses. We don't want any witnesses. And the Republicans would be like, no, seriously, call witnesses. We want more. Give me, give me, give me. Come to Papa. This is helping us. Go ahead. Call. I, hey, let's talk to Hunter Biden. Let's talk to Hunter Biden. Let's talk to Joe Biden. Let's call witnesses. Let's do it. So it's funny how the Democrats want to do the thing that's going to hurt them and the Republicans want to do the thing that's going to hurt them or not help them more. I think the more witnesses they call, the better it is for Republicans, to be honest. So. Um, but anyway, see, this is what it all comes to. And I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you. I predicted the Mueller report exactly right. Now I'm, I've predicted impeachment right. And it's funny because any kind of deviation from the standard commentary on this, you're immediately like, you know, dismissed as like a Trump apologist or something. And my whole argument all along is, no, it's going to help him. So who's the real Trump apologist here? The people who are arguing for impeachment on these weak-ass grounds, you're the ones who are going to help them. So they accuse you of what they're guilty of. It's just, it's so frustrating. It's so mind-numbing. And it's blind leading the blind. You think Democratic leadership knows what they're doing? Are you kidding me? They have no idea what they're doing. And the Republicans are just lucky that their opponents happen to be the dumbest people on the planet strategically. So here we are, all this noise, and it ends with a whimper. That's what this is. There's a couple articles that are like, yeah, this might be over Friday. By the way, even if it's not over Friday, it'll still be over soon. And, um, you know. When that happens, oh, my God, Twitter is going to be so annoying. You're going to have these, like, self-righteous resistance people who are, like, you know, shocked about it and angry at the Republicans. And it's like, uh, how did you not know this was coming? How did you botch it this bad? Why are you so ridiculous? And their reaction will be even more ridiculous than everything so far. Twitter will act like... The fate of the republic is how that the Republican circle the wagons around a terrible, terrible dictator of a man. They're gonna act like you know. This is it? This is how it ends? This is how it ends? I can't believe the Republicans did this. I can! I can! I can! And I told you all along they were gonna do it, and you didn't listen, and now you're gonna help them. Congratulations. All right, let me take a, a final quick break here, and then when we come back, i got to talk to you guys about satire, a satire account on Twitter that's been pulled, two satire accounts that have been pulled, and what that says about freedom of speech on the platform. You're, not, you're really not going to want to miss this. This is, um, this is a super important story, and it shows that all of us are in danger. So stay right there. We'll be right back.
come back, y'all. Okay. man I swear to God Twitter is the absolute worst okay here we go so I have some uh, some breaking news for everybody about Twitter um, this is going to be one of those I told you so moments and I'm really not happy to report it but Um, Jared Holt says the following, you can now report tweets for being misleading about a political election. This seems like a noble action step, but its success will likely be gauged on how Twitter discerns misinformation, excuse me, prevents reporting abuse, filters for satire, nuance, etc. And then here, I'll show you what it says. Report an issue. I'm not interested in this tweet. It's suspicious or spam. It displays a sensitive photo or video. It's abusive or harmful. And then you have, it's misleading about a political election. Okay. um, How do people not understand that this will immediately backfire? It's misleading about a political election. Okay, literally almost everybody on the right is going to accuse almost everybody on the left of misleading, you know, people about a political election. Everybody on the left is going to accuse everybody on the right of being misleading about a political election. And then most importantly, and this is all that's going to matter, the establishment is going to accuse the outsiders on both ends of the spectrum. But they will, the elitists will accuse the regular people of misleading about a political election. Guys, we don't even need to, like, speculate about this. We've already seen it. You remember when that, um, the video leaked of Biden saying, like, you know, yeah, I, I told them you better fire the prosecutor or they don't get the subsidy. And son of a bitch, they fired the prosecutor. On that alone, there was, like, a massive information war where the Republicans were like, bro, you can't hold a freaking subsidy over their head and then fire them when he's a prosecutor of another country, we shouldn't control another country like that. And the reason why you did it was because that prosecutor was investigating, you know, your son in Burisma, the corruption at Burisma. And then on the Democratic side, they were like, no, what Biden actually did is he fired a corrupt prosecutor to get a not corrupt prosecutor in there. That's what really happened. And then there were so many claims from both sides. Like, it honestly boiled down to whatever your politics are is the narrative that you believed. You know, people on the Democratic side were like, no, he fired the corrupt prosecutor and got the non-corrupt prosecutor in there. People on the right were like, yeah, okay, I got a bridge to sell you. The person he fired was investigating him and this new prosecutor he was buddy-buddy with. So, you know how many things are like this in politics? Where it's like, it's super up in the air, we don't know all the facts, and one side is saying one thing, the other side is saying another thing. And when it comes to the powerful, yes, they will agree to silence outsider voices, full stop. 
and they have a thousand tricks up their sleeve. Literally what they will do is, even if you're accurately talking about something, they could say, hey, but that was taken out of context, and then they could use that to try to pull it down. I mean, seriously, we're really having a conversation about misleading a political election. Guys, people would, people in the establishment would look at this show, and they'd be like, uh, you're misleading about a political election. Why? Because I don't agree with you? And that's really what it would boil down to. I mean, it really is amazing. And, and I'm telling you, the people who will get their way are the people who are powerful. Just like how on Facebook they pulled down a bunch of pro-Palestinian pages. Stuff like that's going to happen here. So this is, like, to even open this door is beyond stupid. I've said it a million times, but the argument from social media companies at the beginning, when they were like, hey, man, we don't curate, we don't filter, we don't do any of that. We're just a bathroom wall. We're the middleman. We got nothing to do with what people are saying on there. We're just the, we're just the forum. As soon as a bunch of idiots started chiming in and saying, like, there's bad stuff on your platform. What are you going to do about the bad stuff? It's really bad. You like bad stuff? I think you like bad stuff, which means you're bad. And the idiots at the social media, like, hey, no, no, we're good people. We're not bad people. So, yeah, we'll, we're gonna, we'll do something totally, totally. And then now we're at this point where free speech is going to be totally dead on these platforms across the board. Who the hell is going to want to go to these platforms now when they get overly corporatized and then when you get rid of freedom of speech on there, who's going to want to go to them? Do you not realize that there's a, that is a value in and of itself, freedom of speech? The downsides that come about from freedom of speech are way less bad than the downsides you get from trying to you know, censor our way to acceptable discourse. Hey, you're not allowed to say that. Hey, you're not allowed to say that. Hey, you're not allowed to say that. Listen, of course, no direct threats of violence. Duh. But outside of, like, clear examples of libel and slander and direct threats of violence, what are we talking about here? Fucking misleading about a political election. I would argue the entire Republican Party and the establishment message on the right misleads about a political election. I would argue everything on the Democratic establishment side, the Joe Bidens of the world, the Mayor Pete's, are misleading about it. Mayor Pete said the other day something that was totally untrue. Polls show that I'm best to be Trump. Not a single poll shows that, not a single one. Are you going to pull down Mayor Pete for saying that? Oh, that's right, you're not, because, again, it's going to break down to who's got the power and who doesn't have the power. If you don't see how this is going to backfire, I, you have literally the worst foresight in the world. <laughs> it doesn't get any worse than your foresight if you don't see that this is immediately going to backfire. It's going to be used to censor the left. It's going to be used to censor outsider voices. There is no way that this will be applied in a reasonable way because it's impossible to apply uh, you know, your solutions in a reasonable way. It's not going to happen. Who's going to watch The Watchmen? Nobody. And The Watchmen are fucking idiots. So congratulations. We now open this door to censorship and it ain't going to close. All right, now uh, sticking with Twitter. So there's a friend of mine who listens to the show. Um, his name is Hunter Penn, and he tweeted the following the other day. My project, MSDNC News, got suspended. We were clearly marked as a parody and never violated any rules. Please retweet this and contact support. And then he puts at uh, Twitter support there. Now, I wouldn't blame you if your initial, initial reaction is, well, hold on. Um, I mean, he probably did violate terms of service in one tweet or another tweet, and 
you know, he's just whatever. This is a temporary thing from Twitter. He's getting Twitter jail, but he'll be out. Maybe this isn't that big of a deal. Uh, if you think that, you'd be incorrect because here's what happened on the same day. There's another friend and uh, listener of the show named Michael, and he says the following. My account, CNN News, got suspended. Clearly a parody account that followed Twitter rules. Please retweet to help spread awareness at Twitter support. So, same day that happens, Michael also says that they suspended his other two parody accounts. He has a Bernie Sanders parody account and a Joe Biden parody account, and they were also clearly labeled as parody, and they followed Twitter rules. So now let me break this all down for you and lay it out in clear terms. On the exact same day, an MSNBC parody gets pulled down, a CNN parody gets pulled down, a Bernie Sanders parody gets pulled down, and a Joe Biden parody gets pulled down. And just to be clear here, the Bernie Sanders parody is like what actual Bernie Sanders supporters and lefties would want him to say. Okay, so it's a leftist account. The Joe Biden parody is, again, from a leftist perspective about how, like, massively out of touch Joe Biden is. Um, The MSDNC one is not criticism of MSNBC from the right. It's criticism from the left. The CNN one is not criticism from the right. It's criticism from the left. Every single one of these accounts has that in common. It's satire. It's parody. But it is from the underlying message is always a leftist perspective, an intelligent leftist perspective. And all of them got pulled. Now, as Michael pointed out to me, because, I mean, what's, what are they going to say? What's Twitter going to say? Um, we're, I don't know. We're cracking down on all parody. No satire allowed. Wrong. They're leaving up Trump parody. So in other words, if, you, if you're like a resistance Democrat and you're going after Orange Man, well, that's fine. That's totally allowed. You're not allowed to have a leftist perspective and go after MSNBC, CNN. Now, again, I wouldn't blame you if you're like a little bit skeptical, but how on earth could it just be a coincidence that on the same day an MSNBC parody and a CNN parody get pulled, and they're both leftist accounts that are hilarious? I mean, some of the things these guys, I retweet them all the time because they're hilarious. The the MSDNC one said something like, um, Breaking, multiple women come out to accuse Bernie Sanders of aggressively providing them with health care. <laughs> that was one of their tweets that I loved. But that's just one example. And the CNN one and the MSNBC one, they both have hilarious stuff all the time. And here's the thing, guys. They had just recently blown up. If I'm not mistaken, both of them were around 30,000 subscribers. They just blew up. Because a lot of the stuff was taken off. Another one, like the Bernie Sanders parody, um, I think combined all these had 75,000 total. The Bernie Sanders parody just had a tweet that blew up where um, the news broke about Hillary basically saying, I don't know if I can support Bernie and yada, yada. And um, Hillary tweeted in 2016, thank you, Bernie, for all your help. Really appreciate it, blah, 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 blah. And this Bernie Sanders parody tweeted, you're welcome. A quote uh, retweet with "You're welcome," and that blew up. It went viral. So, it, listen, these accounts are blowing up because they're really funny and they represent a, a, an intelligent leftist perspective. And then immediately they're pulled on the same day. 
of course they're freaking just pulling stuff that they don't like. That's exactly what's happening here. MSNBC or CNN, you know, they have connects at Twitter. Like, I don't know about this. And then they pull them. And then, so here's the thing. In a situation like that, usually they'd comb through, try to find something. Oh, okay, let me find something that I can make an argument violates the terms of service or whatever. They couldn't find anything. So when Hunter contacted Twitter and was like, how did this happen? Why is my thing pulled? You know what they said to him? Oh, um, according to what it says here, the account was inactive. He's like, inactive? I tweet all the time from there. What are you talking about? That's the argument Twitter went with. Like, you know, oh, no, it's uh, no, it's not that you're suspended because you violated the terms of service or this or that or whatever. Oh, it was just uh, inactive. But it wasn't. So what does that mean? It means they have nothing. They have nothing on these guys. They're just doing funny satire accounts. Intelligent, left-wing parody. That's all they're doing. And it's not allowed. You're not allowed to critique the powers that be. You're not allowed to critique the establishment Democrats. Come on, man. We need to reverse this. We need to reverse this. This is not fair. And it is a crackdown on freedom of speech. There are embarrassed people in power, and they were like, I don't like them. Pull them. Do it. That has to be what happened. So, uh, do me a favor, tweet at Twitter support, and uh, just ask, say, you have to reinstate CNN News, I'll put that on screen, and um, MSDNC News. Why did they get pulled? You have to reinstate them. They didn't do anything wrong. What are you doing? You know, be respectful, but be clear. Um, and I really hope that they get their accounts back, because this, I mean, this is kind of damning, man. This is at the same time we're just talking about how um, now Twitter allows you to report a tweet for being misleading information about an election, as if that will not be immediately abused in a thousand different ways. Like, this is really, they're totally trying to take away the fact that it's a free and open platform. I mean, this is blatant censorship, banning, deplatforming, just because they don't like what these accounts represent and what they say and how they say it and who they make fun of. So what a mess social media is, and it's terrible, and it is, when you see stuff like this, it just makes you want to put your middle finger up to all these social media companies who have gone so far in the wrong direction and are embarrassing. Um, But unfortunately, we don't have viable uh, other options right now, and it's devastating, but it's true at the moment. It's the only game in town. Facebook and Twitter are like the only games in town. What are you going to do? And Insta, of course, but I don't know how much Insta has any scams about, you know, um, pulling down stuff that's shouldn't be up there or whatever but um let's hope that they get reinstated let's try to get them reinstated because they did nothing wrong and this really does appear to be just we're censoring people we don't like okay Media Matters put together a short compilation of Fox News and Fox Business. And it really shows you 
where their loyalties lie. Like, what is the whole point of Fox News and Fox Business Network? What's the point? Well, you're going to find out. It is certainly not to align with average people. Former Bain partner Ed Connard is with us today. Look, what Taylor Swift is having a go at, and Elizabeth Warren, is private equity. J.P. Morgan Chase, Chairman and CEO Jamie Dimon, joined me this week telling me what he thinks is working and what needs to be fixed in U.S. health care. Fat Brands Chairman and former McDonald's CEO Ed Renzi. Have at it. What would McDonald's be like if it were unionized? Protesters vandalizing a subway station. Joining me right now is CV Star, co-chairman and the former chairman and CEO of AIG, Andy Puzzard, joins us now, the former CEO of CKE Restaurants, author of the book, The Capitalist Comeback, The Trump Boom, and The Left Plot to Stop It. The CEO of World Caribbean joins us right now. It almost looks like a third world, I mean, uh, like an additive world experience. Just looking at that, a, a popular vacation destination, for so many, including I'm sure many of your cruise travelers. 40-day strike against General Motors. Former Ford CEO Mark Fields is here with us this morning, and now former CEO of Overstock.com. The men in black, as I call them, showed up and asked for this third favor. Redfin CEO Glenn Tillman joining us now. Joining us right now is the chairman and CEO of Citizens Bank. Patron Spirits co-founder, billionaire John Paul DeGioria, CEO of Verizon, Hans Vestor, Mahoney Asset Management CEO, former CEO of Toys R Us, Air Culinaire World. Worldwide CEO, co-founder and CEO of Studis, chairman and CEO of Stiefel, CEO of BarkBox, Walter Wealth Management, CEO of Euro Pacific Capital, CEO of Fusion Wealth Management, CIO, Mississippi Chief Straw Factory, CEO of JS Jacques, CEO of Rio Tinto. You want to see a, a former director crap his pants? Pardon me. Go stick a, a, a uh, television camera on. Former CEO and chairman of UBS America. Co-founder of Woody Parker. Co-founder of PayPal. General Motors CEO. CEO of Delta. CEO of Sherry Lehman. CEO of EY. CEO of Petco. Combined Capital CEO. Get Payroll President and CEO. CEO of Arturo. CEO of Viagoza. Aplico CEO. CEO of Wheels Up. CEO of the Wealth Consulting Group. CEO of Immersive Labs. CEO of Rex Exchange. CEO of the China Baseball. CEO and managing partner of Rosecliff. The CEO of Marcus and Millichop. That is some real class solidarity, if I've ever seen it. Billionaires, CEOs, I mean, really what they are is the corporate executive defense network. That's their whole point. So I cover that and I point that out to make a very simple case. The case is, if you are an average person with a regular job, and you're making normal money, um, these guys aren't your friends. They're not your friends. They're not your allies. And uh, the stuff that they support politically is not going to help you and not going to fix your life. Um, and listen, they all support Donald Trump. Now, I admit that Trump, when he ran, he acted like a populist in many respects while talking about trade and jobs. But his policies match that of the billionaire class and the CEO class perfectly. Perfectly. He does everything they want. 83% of the benefits of his tax cuts go to the top 1%. 83%. All the tax cuts for regular people are temporary. The ones for the rich and corporations are permanent. 7 million people lost their health insurance under Trump. I've pointed this out a number of times. 78% of people live paycheck to paycheck. This is all really important. 
Sure, the unemployment rate is low, but people are underemployed as well. And that's not discussed. The stock market is really high, but that's just because of corporate profits and the rich and stock buybacks. That's what that is. So it's not a reflection on how you're doing. But if you watch this network, they'll make you think, like, everything's going so great. Yeah, for you, for the CEOs, for the billionaires, for the rich hoes, sure. Not for average people, not for working people. I'm just telling you. They're not on your team, son. (laughs) They're not on your team. They're just not. They're not looking to help you. They're looking to do the bidding of the owner class. Not once. Oh, here's a worker. Here's a union guy. None of that. None of it. Here's somebody from Fight for 15. Nope. You don't see any of that. Anytime they bring on a lefty, it's to browbeat them. Ever. A worker. To browbeat them. It's never, ever... Oh, let's see, talk to this person like they're an expert. They brought on, uh, Fox Business and CNBC brought on CEOs of companies that went bankrupt uh, during the subprime mortgage crisis and the Great Recession and treated them like experts. They gave them the floor. Hey, say whatever you want. What's going on? What do you think of what's happening in the market right now? And they'd speak as if they're experts. Meanwhile, they're bankrupting their companies. And then what's happening? They're getting bailouts from the government that they bought and owned. That's what's happening. As Bernie points out all the time, oh, these guys say they don't believe in socialism. Oh, they believe in socialism. They believe in corporate socialism or corporatism, as we call it. Socialism for the rich. That's what that is. Bernie believes in socialism for the regular guy, social democracy. He wants you to have health care, you to have college, you know, you to have trade school, you to have higher wages. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to spend it on the military-industrial complex and Wall Street and financial institutions. So, you know, make it that what you will. But I think it says something that, you know, that's what we see on Fox News and Fox Business. That is some real class solidarity right there with the billionaire class and with the executives. That's who they support. Don't get it twisted. Okay. Final story of the day. Chris Matthews um, on MSNBC made an anti-Bernie Sanders argument that was so bad that Joe Scarborough was stunned by it. (laughs) Check this out. You know Pennsylvania? You know that Youngstown, Ohio voter? You know that Scranton, Pennsylvania voter? Does Bernie relate to those voters in a way that say, other Democrats in the field may not. You know, I don't think so, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think people are, uh, who are desperate to get rid of Trump will look at, well, reach for any uh, life raft thrown at them. Uh, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'll just say I don't know about that one. I think they respond to Biden with a good running mate. I think they uh, might go for some of the other candidates. My latest question is this one. It's sort of like the question pollsters ask. Um, who cares about people like you? And my question is a little more direct than that. Suppose you're lying on a road hurt. Maybe you've had a, something happened to you. You're saying this, whatever happened. Which of the candidates would stop their car and get out and help you? Which of them? Ask yourself that question. And you got your candidate, I think. Because I'm not sure about all of them. I, I'm in polling this sort of You know, I, get, I think Biden wins that one pretty easily. I think Elizabeth maybe. I don't think Bernie wins it. You? Honestly? You think Bernie would stop yeah. that? I'm not sure. Well, I, 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 I have a question. 
than because of the gut, but they do. They are the question you got to ask about. Will this person help me when I need it? Because the rest yeah. of the yeah. it's all speech writing. Okay, so I, 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 uh, I, I, I'll say, yeah, I think Bernie would help me. Uh, oh, but, you're covering Joe, you're covering You made Joe Scarborough defend Bernie Sanders. Chris Matthews, you made Joe Scarborough defend Bernie Sanders. You made the other panelists there laugh. They were laughing at you. They were laughing at your point. This is MSNBC. This is where, you know, almost anything anti-Bernie goes easy. But your point was so silly. You made other anti-Bernie folks be like, I don't know about all that, bro. Really? That's the argument you're going to make? Hmm, that's weird. Wow, dude. Wow. So, I mean, first of all, what a silly way to talk about politics. I mean, let's just get that out there first and foremost. It's just a ridiculous question. I don't think this cuts to the heart of anything real. I think it's a goofy hypothetical scenario that allows you to fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill in the blank with. I think that's what that is. Um, But furthermore, even if we entertain that idea, uh, there have been at least one or two examples of people collapsing at Bernie rallies, and he immediately stopped talking and ran over them to help them. One time he famously said, like, oh, my God, and then he sprinted towards them to help them. So, you know, even if we take your silly scenario, which I don't accept it, but even if we do, you're still wrong. <laughs> um, and the, but the other thing is, in his hypothetical, he says, oh, suppose you're lying on the road hurt. Like, who, who would you want to help you? And that should be, you know, who would help you? And that, that's the person you pick for president. Here's what I know for sure. Under a Bernie Sanders administration, if you collapse and you're lying in the road hurt, your medical bills would be zero dollars and zero cents. Under a Warren administration, eh, we'll try something, and then, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but then come back in three years, and maybe we'll try again with the health care thing to maybe, maybe not get somewhere to Medicare for all, something, I don't know. Inspiring. Biden, he still leaves, like, over 10 million people uninsured with his plan. So you get 500,000 medical bankruptcies every single year. Bernie gets rid of that. That's no longer a thing. 32,000 to 45,000 deaths from lack of health care. Bernie gets rid of that. That's no longer a thing. If you're lying on the ground, you've collapsed, and you're hurt in any situation, you want Bernie Sanders to be president so you don't go bankrupt and you don't die. That's what you want. Get out of here with your absurdly dumb hypotheticals, man. How is this dude still on TV, bro? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you even trying? It's just, he's been on TV so long, he's so comfortable, he just has verbal diarrhea. So might as well just do a segment where he's like, no, I don't like Bernie. Let me just tell everybody I'm not a fan of Bernie. Bernie's bad. Anyway, that's it for tonight's show. Come back tomorrow. You're that close. That You're that close to doing exactly that, Chris. Okay. We are done, bitch. All right, guys, I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. I'm out. Peace.